Erica Lima, the community poet, chat with folks who speak on behalf of their respective communities. And this is a community that I don't even think I was even thinking of or was on my radar until I met this person through a different community that we're both part of. So I'm really excited to learn more about the things that they're into, about this person individually, because even though we've known each other for years now, we're not in the, we've never been in the same city. We meet each other in conferences and we engage on social media. So I'm super excited to welcome them to this podcast, this conversation. They're also podcasters themselves. So it's also really dope to um, speak to someone who's been doing this a little longer than I have. So that all said, Hey, welcome. Tell folks your name. Hello, my name is Deborah A. Anderson. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what are your pronouns, Deborah? Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Awesome. And tell folks about yourself. So I'm Miss Deborah. Um, I am in the animation industry. Uh, professionally, I am a 3D modeler. Uh, but I am trying to, well, I have rebroken into the industry. My first job in animation was over 10 years ago in South Korea. <laughs> and so I was actively doing 3D modeling out there. And um, I just got, I, I moved to Los Angeles in February of 2020, uh, a month before the pandemic hit. So I, I had a good month of networking. And then uh, those, you know, two years of being underemployed and then I just got a job at a studio in January and so I have rebroken into the industry. I started in production as a production coordinator and then I just um, I actually got hired to be an assistant editor but um, the, the budget wasn't open till like later in the year so they graciously allowed me to start as a production coordinator because I need the money and um, I just got my promotion for the uh, job I got hired for to be an assistant editor in the past couple few weeks. So that's cool. Um, I'm liking that because I, I now have three skill sets that I can kind of get a job for because uh, in the animation industry, particularly in California slash Los Angeles, it's outside of working at Disney and Pixar, which can be full-time jobs, you're pretty much only on projects. So you're constantly looking for a job. And so to have like three skill sets that I can look for a job now, it feels, makes me feel much better because Los Angeles is expensive. Um, I went to Rochester Institute of Technology in upstate New York, um, and then I spent 12 years of my adult life after I graduated from college in New Orleans, uh, where I was involved with Urban League Young Professionals. That's how I know Dara. Um, yeah. That's I was like, wait, bio. you were connected to Rochester too? Like, you just all yeah. over the world. <laughs> yeah, from Detroit to Rochester to New Orleans to... South Korea, back to New Orleans, and now LA. <laughs> See, now, how did you get to South Korea? <laughs> I, I graduated in 2008 <laughs> and couldn't find no job. And I was like, well, if I can't get a job in animation, the next best thing is living in a foreign country. And so um, one of my classmates that, interestingly enough, we didn't really talk like that. And so I was looking at her Facebook and she was like, bungee jumping and white and like rafting and stuff and I just I don't know what made me ask her the question because we're we were like cool but we it wasn't like we you know conversed on a like regularly and I just saw her pictures I was like what are you what are you doing and she's like oh I'm over in Korea teaching English and I had uh that was maybe 
2008, 2009, and I had never heard of that before. <laughs> and so I just was like, okay, if I don't get a job in animation by what, March 2009, May 2009, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go to Korea. And so that's how I ended up teaching English in Korea. And then the second year I worked at an animation company, accidentally got that job. That was not on purpose. I did not go to Korea thinking I was gonna be working in the animation industry. <laughs> uh, I could tell that story later if you want me to, but yeah, I did not do that on purpose, but it was awesome. I got to work on Family Guy, Cleveland Show, Batman the Brave and the Bold and Scooby-Doo for my first job in the industry. That is super dope. <laughs> so... I mean, you already kind of told us what we're going to talk about specifically, but besides that, before we get into that, what mm-hmm. communities are you part of? Do you represent outside of that one? So first of all, I am an Anderson. So I represent my family <laughs> and, and I'm a Henry and I'm a Bonham, um, like my mom's family and my stepmom's family. Um, and let's see, I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm from Detroit, from the East Side, Casual Mac. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm from the animation community, the Urban League movement, um, like social justice in general. Like my my dad's nickname for me is Angela Davis. So, like this was I was you know when I was kind of going through college in my twenties. I'm like, why was I reading Native Son in eighth grade? And it's like, oh, like. It, my dad indoctrinated me <laughs> and I think I didn't even make the realization until like I made the realization once he started talking about my nieces but I um before I moved to Los Angeles there's this guy Claude Anderson who was on the breakfast club and you know he has all these like economic books and I was like dad can you buy me these books um because you know I'm moving so I can't like really I don't want to put my money towards it and so he bought me the books and he's like oh I, you ain't already to read these books your nieces right read these books and I'm like so you getting to them too <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um I'm trying to think um kind of like not anymore but I'm trying to get back to it like the basketball community like I, I have goals of being like because I, I used to play I've, I've played with guys since I graduated from high school because I played at varsity in a in in high school and there's all these like older white guys that play that's in their 60s and stuff and I want to be like this older black lady in my 50s that has changed her game enough to be able to still be competitive. But I ain't like trying to keep up with nobody, but I'm still like making shots. So that's my goal in life. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I'm sure there's communities I'm forgetting, but those are the main ones. Awesome. You know, your, your basketball story is like me with my locks. My dream always when I started growing locks was to like, it, so when I started growing locks, I kept them really short on purpose. So for years, they were super short. And then I think I hit like mid 30, maybe when I hit my 30s. So I got them, I started growing locks when I was in my 20s. So maybe in my 30s, I started letting them grow. And so they were growing like pretty like mid shoulder, I mean, mid arm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when I'm older, I want them to be the long flowing gray locks. I want to be that elder that you see with the just full gray head of locks that go all the way. I want to be that person. That person, when you see them walk in the room, you know, they had a life and you're like, yes, 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 auntie. Yes, queen. Yes, sister. Like you, that person, my neck will never let me do that. I discovered my, my locks cannot grow past the length of the so like what are we doing oh my god (laughs) exactly my neck is like no no there's a length limit and that's that's where we're going to stop 
but um so I've had to let go of those dreams but I will have the full gray head of locks mm-hmm. good lord willing but so when you, when you talk about that dream I'm like yes I I feel that what's funny is like I feel like as black women growing up it's always like this destiny like we're we're always trying to grow long hair and so once I went natural because like the reason I went natural was because I had figured out how to do my hair in Rochester and then I moved to New Orleans with that humidity and I just was like I don't <laughs> I give up <laughs> so like the permed hair had to be cut off and uh my my aunt always wanted me to like transition but like two different textures like I don't have the capacity for that so I was just like let me I had just permed my hair like the week before and I'm just like I'm just gonna cut it off and so then I like, okay, I'm gonna grow my hair long in a natural form. And because I'm like, I just need to get to the length where I could put in a ponytail. My hair is too thick for that. So like my hair has to be longer than the normal person's hair to be able to put in a ponytail. And I don't even think I ever got there. I was able to put like a bun on the top of your head with it, but putting it in a ponytail, like I used to do mm-hmm. when I had permed hair, it was just like, this is never gonna happen. And I shed so much and I sweep every day and I'm just like, I'm just, I don't want this long hair anymore. And like, you know, doing the twists because I, I mostly wore my hair in twists and it's like my arms hurt the longer my hair is getting, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go short. And so like that freedom from like this black woman thing where like our hair has to be long. I was like, I'm free from that. My hair will be short. <laughs> like, I don't care. I hear you. I hear you. I, I mean... I I did not know how to wear my hair in a in a in a fro state. Every time I wore it, I felt like a tomato, so I didn't do it. Like I because my face is so round that it just felt rounder. That I was like, it does it. It never looked like it felt like it looked right. And the moment that I had to do it for for like the two days or the day that I did it, I felt like a forty year old, and I was in my twenties, and I was like, this doesn't this doesn't work. I've aged myself significantly in a very short period of time. And so I accidentally fell into locks and I was like, oh, I recognize her. And so I've been wearing locks since, but I don't know if locks is forever. I would like them to be, but they take their own toll. So I thought about locks because locks, like, I feel like it's a guaranteed way to grow your hair. (laughs) Cause like people who was bald headed, like they get locks now it's like long, (laughs) long locks. But I was like, man, I'll get like phantom comb. Like, you know how when people remove their arm, like they get phantom arm and they still feel the arm like... (laughs) If I get locks, I'm gonna like want to comb it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's just not, that's not what it's for. And so I was like, Yeah. I mean, I find myself playing in my hair like I used to when my hair was natural and not in braids. And like I would, I pick at my hair way more than I should. Like, and I'm just like, this is not good for my hair. So it is, I, I, I want to, like, and I want to brush my hair sometimes. I'm like, brush what? Like, there's not, you can't, that, that does not work with this hair. So right. it is, it is yeah yes <laughs> yes yes I hear you so um so I'm so I assume and you know what they say about assuming but since we started with what <laughs> with your tell me about yourself what tell us specifically what community you're going to be speaking on behalf of today so I'm going to be speaking on behalf of like generally the black animation community but possibly the black female community community in animation but black animation <laughs> awesome so is it like since you since you just put that possibly female do you find that are there a lot of women that are doing it as well or 
Um, there is a good number. Like the point of my podcast that I have um, is that we are few in number, but they're more than we realize. And so um, I'm always discovering new people. And uh, as a Black woman, I do feel like ah, I need to get more women on my channel because like I'm I'm trying to represent all of us. And so to just have a bunch of dudes or whatever, it's like, OK, what, why am I in this space if I'm not going to provide something that is being forgotten? So um, there are a, a, a number of us in the animation community at, at various levels, uh, but we're still a small number. Awesome. So how did, so I, I'm going to go back to that backstory since you set, you set it up before. You mm-hmm. said you were in Korea. Yes. And you were there to teach English, but somehow second year you were in animation and working for all these amazing shows. So yeah. how, how did that come to happen? So I do have a degree in animation. So it did make sense. It wasn't like that random, but yeah, I was going there, you know, because I had like a Verizon bill that I couldn't pay and I was like, go get a job. And then I, I ended up getting to Korea and then forgot about the Verizon bill. So it went into collections <laughs> and they called me at like 3 a.m. like Korean time and had an attitude. And I'm like, man, this is not your money. Like, But anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was teaching English, which is very fairytale land, like particularly when I went, I think it's harder to do, like it's, it's at least harder to get into the position these days because you have to have like more credentials but back then it was like be from one of these five countries america you uh canada england south africa australia maybe ireland and then have a degree in anything (laughs) like but now they like want you to have like the little certificates and stuff like that so it was very easy, like, and, and I went to a public school because uh, public schools are easier, like in Korean culture, they have these things called hagwons, which the kids will go to public school and then they do these academies that they go to from like maybe four to maybe 10 at night. And that's how they are more competitive than we are because they're in school all day. And the hagwons I heard are hard to teach at and stuff like that so I was like yes got at a public school so I would have maybe like four classes a day I'm saving like I only made maybe $28,000 a year but a cost of living was not that bad so I'm like saving half my paycheck even with that low salary and sending half of it to pay for bills and have a um savings account so it was very like fairy tale, like this easy work I'm just and I and I personally decided like okay my co-teachers who are Korean and they're the English teachers they're teaching them the grammar so I'm going to decide upon myself to like try to get them to talk because um it was uh known that uh Koreans are good and I'm sure this is for a lot of language learning but they are good at um writing and reading but they weren't good at speaking and listening mm-hmm. so they might not they might know a lot, but they can't articulate. And I, I feel like I experienced that in Spanish uh, when I learned that in high school too. So I was like trying to always get them to talk as much as possible. And so um, like it was coming up on like, oh, do you want to renew your contract and do this a second year? And I was really close to one of my fraternity brothers. Um, I, have to, I have to tell you how I met him, which is uh, another weird story. But one of my fraternity brothers, I was like always like hanging out with him and I was telling him about, you know, the renewing and he's like, don't you have a degree in animation? And I'm like, 
oh yeah <laughs> and, you know, and you know the further you get away from you know graduating or out of your industry the harder it is to get in so I was like okay so I guess I'm gonna go back to America and but first I've never seen an animation studio so let me just see if I can see a Korean one so I just looked up all these Korean animation studios and sent emails to all of the, all across Korea, not just in the city. Like I was living in Guangzhou, which is like the south. There's two Guangzhou, so I was in the southern one. And then, um, you know, everybody knows Seoul, if they know Korea. And so I sent it to a bunch of people. Um, an incubator in, in Guangzhou responded. And so they had like a bunch of little animation companies there. And this uh, woman took me around. She was really nice. And she, like, I wasn't looking for a job, but she was like, yeah, if you can't speak Korean, then you <laughs> can't make it here. And so I just toured that. And then um, a company called Digital Emation responded in Seoul. So I, like, went up there. They took me around. And I remember uh, I went into the 2D room, and there was, like, cubicles on each side, and there was, like, long pathway. And at the end of the pathway, I turn right, and I see a Black man. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I was <laughs> All the things I thought I was going to see at this animation studio, I didn't think I was going to see a Black person. And so Carl Linton, he was the, um, uh, the uh, overseas director for Cleveland Show. And so um, they introduced me to him. And then like, I went back to the president's office because the president and vice president were um, taking me around and they're like, oh, do you have a demo reel? And a demo reel is just like what we call a portfolio. It's a video where you kind of put clips of your work um, for, for recruiters. And I was like, no, but I can. <laughs> and so I went back um, to Guangzhou in between classes after school on the weekend for the next four months I worked on my demo reel put it together and like four months to the day I think uh, I sent it back to them and they were like oh we would like to invite you back up to Seoul and I'm like okay if I'm spending money are y'all gonna hire me because why am I why am I coming back up here but they did hire me and like I remember sitting in the office and being like okay when you're an English teacher they provide housing and I'm about to be in a real world and I don't know where I'm gonna live but <laughs> I felt like maybe God wouldn't present this with, to me if I if it wasn't going to be figured out so I just said yes but in my mind I was like where am I live <laughs> <laughs> but the vice president she was wonderful um she helped me find a place like uh I was I stayed at this place where um this young lady she was Korean she would allow um foreign exchange students like to live at her apartment so there were maybe three rooms and like the second year I didn't know I didn't know none like none of them, the people that I lived with because I was working 12 hour days 10 a.m to 10 p.m I didn't even buy groceries because I ate breakfast lunch and dinner at work and so um yeah that's how I say I accidentally got a job in animation in Korea because I just was trying to tour places to see what an animation studio looked like I didn't know they were going to offer me a job so yeah and it just so happened I get to work on Family Guy. It's my first, like I got my name in the credits for my first uh, position. And like people in my industry sometimes work 10 years to get their name in the credits. So yeah. That's impressive though. That's like, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. And really quickly to, to say how I'm at my fraternity brother. So go back to, like I was, I, I think I did get my placement in Korea to teach English. But before I left, um, so I'm a Zeta, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, and the Sigmas were our brother fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma, they were having their conclave in New Orleans. 
And so um, I am naturally an introvert. I don't need to go places, but I was like, oh, let me go show my face like for two seconds um, since my people was in town. And so I went to like the Hilton or wherever. And I, I literally like, I went in there and um, there was like this long table in the lobby where all these people were sitting and like Cheryl Underwood was sitting cause she used to be our, our national president. And so I like went in, went around the like, went the one way toward and on the table and then like kind of circled back and then was like, well, I showed up. <laughs> and I was about to be gone but then there's like by the door there was like this group of sigmas that were sitting there and I don't know if they called me over or whatever but I ended up going to talk to them and it just so happened like every sigma that was sitting at that table was either living in Korea or just came back from Korea oh wow and so I was like telling them like yeah I'm about to be like teaching English and Korean it was one of those things like yeah okay <laughs> like you're about to go to Korea like yeah we believe you and so I ended up staying in contact with my friend Derek from meeting him at that table and like he actually also he didn't know me but he actually helped me with some of the money to get to Korea because I was like poor <laughs> and so there was like all these things I had to do and I, I wasn't having the money he like let me borrow the money wow I feel like that's the power of the of like the fraternal network is like people sometimes erroneously like oh you're buying your friends but it's like instant family like this dude did not know me and he gave me money to get to Korea and then once I got there we were like the closest of friends and he's the one that was like don't you got a degree in animation (laughs) and so um it was crazy I was like out of all the like because I was literally about to leave and out of all the tables that I stopped at I stopped at like people who were like living in Korea that was crazy (laughs) it it was supposed to be that's that's the point it was supposed to be yeah that's 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 crazy that's fascinating though um so so then you forgot to mention that you were part of the the divine nine uh community as well then yes I am part of the (laughs) divine nine community I knew I was gonna forget some community You are the second, I've like, I've not done a whole lot of interviews and depending when this releases, you may be for or after the other person, but you mm-hmm. are so far the second um, D9 person that have been interviewed so far. So Yeah, <laughs> on my podcast, I did like a, I do these YouTube lives. I did one this morning and I did one like Divine Nine in animation. And it was like, I felt like all the people in, in the Divine Nine that are in animation were on that video because I was like struggling <laughs> to find because, you know, p- typically art schools don't have fraternities and sororities um, or you just like or or if you go to a school that has them, you're not that's not really your wheelhouse. Like even people who knew me in high school would not have ever guessed that I would be a part of a sorority because my personality didn't like w- lend itself to that. But, you know, for me, it was like as soon as I saw the benefit um I was like eh, I could do it and um Zeta has has helped me grow so much because um I became a member spring 2006 and so that was like April and we would uh, have our election for uh, positions for the next year before the school year was over and so April t- 2006 I, w- I was a member and then by May 2006 I was the president for the next year and oh, so wow. I- before then growing up like I had my mom send me my um kindergarten progress reports like my kindergarten progress report said she does her work but she does not talk 
<laughs> and that pretty much continued through high school. Like I was very, like, I am, I am still quiet, but I can string two sentences together now. So in college, I was like all about my self growth and like trying to learn how to have a conversation. And so Zeta helped me do some of that too, where before that, I never thought I was going to be the president of anything. And then, so the juxtaposition of like, okay, when I became president of Zeta, I never thought I was going to be a president of anything. But when I became president of the Urban League of Louisiana Young Professionals, I was like, yes, I'm going to be president. Like, this makes sense. So. That's awesome. That is, that is, oh goodness. Um, so yeah, actually, now that I think about it, she's actually a Zeta too. So the other person <laughs> was also a Zeta, is also a Zeta. Um, that's yeah. hilarious. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, so we, we, for those people who do not know, uh, have met through the National Urban League Young Professionals. I was the community service chair for the New York chapter, and you ascended to the presidency of the, uh, uh, the New Orleans chapter. So yeah, I, I mean, I, we, became, we probably crossed paths when your predecessor was president, because I, yeah, Ricardo, because he's actually, like, I don't know if you, in my memoir, there's a story about him. He's in the story. I just renamed people. Nice. But um, and like at first I renamed him something that was so obvious. Like I renamed him Roberto and I was like the <laughs> same person. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people accidentally call him Roberto, so that would have been obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so I renamed him. And I, I mean he knows everyone. If you know the people who if you were around for these stories, you know the real people. Yeah. But like it was it was about the um St. Louis uh the St. Louis conference because that's when I broke my arm and oh, so yeah. he he was integral in the revelation moment of me trying to get to the hospital so oh. <laughs> he's in that story um but yeah so yeah I I definitely appreciated your chapter and just I also like I also like New Orleans so I don't know that I knew anyone in New Orleans when conference was in New Orleans yeah but I definitely also just liked that city back then when I visited. I think when the New Orleans conference was happening, uh, do you know? Do you remember what year that was? Don't make me lie to you. <laughs> like I feel like I was just coming back from Korea, and so I was kind of getting replugged in. Mm. So like I was there for some stuff, but I know NYP people be like that New Orleans. They still be talking about New Orleans conference. To this I mean, day. to this day. <laughs> I mean, the problem is I'm so mad about that conference. And in that, like, I'm, I've, been, I've been to a million conferences by that point. I was stupid and I did not think about the, the way the buses ran. So I mm-hmm. didn't go on the bus immediately. So I missed the after party that mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder was at. I was at the gala, but I did not get on the bus. And so I did not know where the after party was. So mm-hmm. I did not make it to like the amazing moment where he shows up at the after party too. But having him at the gala was amazing in itself. So um, that conference was really, and it was a pretty spectacular special conference. I'm just going to say that. It was a special one. So, yeah. But um, so uh, something beautiful about your community. Um, Something beautiful about my community. And if we're like, we're going to go to the Black animation community is like, Mm -hmm us all working together like even um this morning doing the youtube live that i did it was called realizing wakanda uh black animation and just discussing like how can we like what is our vibranium um and 
like how can we tap into all these things to um, bring that Black animation community to another level and just having people to have that discussion with in the first place, but also having the people that watch and just like, there's so many people, um, uh, Diverse Tunes, which one of the founders was on that uh, you, that live and then, um, uh, Don Terrell, he interviews people, um, his, his, uh, cause my platform, I'm purposely only interviewing people in the animation industry, but he kind of expands that and goes into like illustration and comic books and stuff like that. And then, um, Black and Animated is a, a big, um, group in our, our industry that is doing a lot of things. So they're comparable to like the Latinx in animation and the Asians in animation. So they're one of the big organizations in our community. And so there's a lot of people that care. Um, also, I think, uh, because there's a lot of various um, personalities, personalities in the animation community, community, but a lot of people are um, kind of like shy, anxious, all that stuff. But in my experience interviewing these people on my platform, particularly the veterans, they're very open to being contacted. Like um, there's a prominent person in my industry called, uh, his name is Dan Haskett. Um, he actually designed Ariel from Little Mermaid. Mm. And so like when I interview him, he's like, yeah, when I work out, because this was, uh, I think this was pre-pandemic. And so he had an office at Warner Brothers and he's like, there's these like young black people that work here, but they are afraid to talk to me <laughs> and afraid to stop by. And so there's like with certain personalities, there's this like intimidation factor that people have. And it's like, no, these people are human beings. They're open to like you coming to, speak to them um you know there's some people who have that ego where it's like eh, I don't I didn't have a good experience meeting that particular person <laughs> but for the most part uh, a lot of the veterans are very open to talking about um animation or anything and there's a section of my YouTube videos where I actually list the uh, a lot of the projects that they worked on just so it could be like oh man in my childhood, I watched this TV show or this movie and a black person worked on that. So, mm. yeah. so, so how did you get it? Like why animation for you? Like, how did you know that this was your path? So a lot of people's, um, path, like a lot of my peers are like, yeah, I watched Lion King or I watched Little Mermaid. And I was like, I'm gonna do that. I was like, I, I had, I still have a VHS collection in my bedroom of like VHS tapes. I would draw from the VHS tapes. People thought I traced. I have these Disney books. I bought them off eBay because I'm always talking about these Disney books. I was like, I should have them in my house. They're not my particular set, but they're like the set that I, I'm always talking about. So I would, there's these Disney books. I would like always be drawing from those books and the VHS tapes people thought I traced, but I'd never, for some reason, not I was not like my peers where I was like, oh, I'm gonna do that. And so, um, but also because I was good at math. And so um, I went through wanting to be an architect. Um, I wanted to be an industrial designer. And then before I found animation, I wanted to be an electrical engineer. And so um, how I found animation as a career, <laughs> despite being surrounded by Disney and, uh, and other and like Warner Brothers and you know all those people uh luckily I was smart and so my father is a professor he um 
knew that we could do dual enrollment. I have a twin brother, so um, we could do dual enrollment. In Michigan, you have to take this test. I can't remember. It wasn't the PSAT. It was like this. I think, you know, Michigan had the MEEP. Louisiana had the LEAP. Like, there, I think it was one of those type of tests where if you take it early, um, well, I, you don't have to take it early, but I took it early and passed it, and then they'll give you money to go take college mm. courses. And so I took it in 10th grade. And so my junior and senior year, I took seven classes at Schoolcraft Community College in Livonia, Michigan. And the seventh class was animation. <laughs> so I took like Adobe Illustrator. I took Photoshop. I took after like two After Effects classes, Macromedia Director that don't, that don't even exist no more. Macromedia Flash don't exist no more. Um, and then 3ds Max, which I only use that program in that class because um and I just felt like I'm both creative and analytical and I felt like it 3d 3d animation in particular uh melded both sides of me very well because like 2d animation like when I was in college I'd be at like I put off taking my 2d animation course uh, it was only one that was required I put it off for as long as possible and then I bs my way through it <laughs> because I, I can draw but for me, 2D animation, it felt like I'm drawing the same thing over and over again, which you're not, but that's what it felt like. And that's why I can't do like children's books anymore too, because I'm like, ah, I don't like this. And so I feel like animation, like, I, I feel like this could be applied to anything, but animation, every part of animation is tedious. What tediousness do you like? I like the tediousness of being a 3D modeler. A 3, like if you are watching this, my background is a Batmobile, the, the Michael Keaton 1989 Batmobile. I modeled this in Autodesk Maya. And so during, being a 3D modeler, you build everything in the world. Like when you open a 3D program, it is empty. You have to create everything in it. So when you watch Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks, um, Blue Sky, all these different... Um, companies when you watch these animated movies people created everything in there we don't have like oh i'm gonna create a live action and just there's trees already out here like no we gotta create the trees <laughs> we gotta create the humans and all that stuff so yeah i felt like and i i think i had a history of like liking to build things like anytime my mom or or i don't think i don't know i don't remember building stuff when i was living with my dad but when i was with my mom and she would buy like a little piece of furniture i'm like i'll put it together <laughs> and so <laughs> Um, I feel like it kind of is in line with, you know, liking to build things. Awesome. So you meant, you just mentioned books, a book, and I do know there is a book that exists because I own it. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell us about that? So I created a book named the black hair alphabet. Um, like even though I came out with that book, I was like, I never like, I didn't think of myself as an author. <laughs> I just was like, I did a daily art challenge. Um, I, my own art challenge, because there's art challenges that are created out there, but I did my own daily art challenge and I created all these images and like one Memorial Day weekend, I just was like, hmm, I got all these images. I could put it in book form and then I figured out on Amazon Ken, uh what is it um KDP Kindle mm -hmm. KDP. Yep. yeah I was like okay let me figure out how to publish a book <laughs> in like a Memorial Day weekend and so that was like the longer the short of it I wasn't like I'm an author and I'm about to like write a book because like also the words in there is like a is for Afros 
<laughs> so I'm like, ah, that's not the most like difficult writing. <laughs> but then once I came out with the book and then people were like, oh, can you sign it for me? I'm like, oh yeah, I guess people do do that. <laughs> just like, it just was like a weird experience where I'm just like, oh, okay. And then I had this thing where like, you know, I'm signing it for people's children. And then I'm like, ah, dang, what do I say? Because to me, I'm just like, let me just say some art, like, let me just write some arbitrary thing, but they could take it and be like, this is what kept me throughout, the, throughout my time. And so I'm like trying to figure out what can I write that is like meaningful and not just write anything. And so I'm just like, ah, okay. Let me come up with like maybe two or three phrases that I can just put in everybody's book that is meaningful, but it's still like, ah, I thought about it for two seconds. So, yeah. So, so no more books in your future then? <laughs> um, I'm willing to do more books. It just was like, I didn't think I was, I didn't label myself as an author. And the reason I uh, did the art challenge, I wanted to say that is that, um, you know, back in the day playing video video games a lot of uh guys were complaining about the avatars and how okay if i am a black dude and i'm playing like a basketball game or some avatar all they have is afro bald maybe dreads <laughs> and there's so many other <laughs> hairstyles that both men and women have and so i was like hmm Maybe with my current skill set, because I do want to get into digital sculpting. I did take a class early this year and I'm getting more comfortable with digital sculpting, which is a more realistic way to um, do certain things. I was like, okay, in 2017, with my current skill set, let me do a letter, like let me do a daily challenge where I create a hairstyle for each, like a black hairstyle for each letter. And not all of the letters are exclusively black because I'm like first of all there's only so many letters like there's only so many hairstyles so you know towards the end of the alphabet you're just making up stuff like x braid x is for x braid <laughs> like what is that I don't know but I I did it <laughs> so, <laughs> so like and I think maybe z is z z braid I don't know but I was like I mean I gotta make something up and so I did a letter uh for each like I did a hairstyle for each letter and that was why because of like the representation of like video game avatars was the kind of catalyst awesome so representation i i i don't even know what the question is in my head but it is tied to that because mm -hmm. um how is it being like you know there's a lot of places where we're not where we're underrepresented just period mm -hmm. and then there's there's a struggle <laughs> there um how is it do you find yourself in the animation world having to deal with um struggles that come with being underrepresented in the workforce yeah um because a lot of my like in korea i was you know international token so much less sleazy to be an international token than a black token in america because <laughs> they would show me off and stuff like that but it was a good experience like they kind of warned me about my director because he was like known for being mean and mm -hmm. like people in other departments didn't want to go talk to him but the um lady in background who shared a, a room with us she was like she told me like i think you made eddie nicer <laughs> so like i don't know how i did that but he couldn't yell at me because i wasn't fluent in korean and he wasn't fluent in english so he couldn't yell at me like that 
but I, somehow I made it a nicer. But then having my career in the South, yes. <laughs> like, um, and it's like some of it is, is like very, and like none of it, it was like, some of it is like in the North where you're like, hmm, is it actually happening? So some of it was like that in the South because, you know, we're, we're in the 2000s by that point. But uh, it was still very obvious in certain interest instances. And some of it, I feel like, was unconscious bias where they probably don't even realize what they're doing. But, like, I feel like for someone who is in their 30s and had, uh, you know, the short-ish comparably career that I've had I have too many stories <laughs> and, and compared to how, how long I've been in anybody's industry and so um I was just telling somebody like at one place I worked I literally kept a draft a, a gmail draft of like documentation of everything they did to me and then some th one day it just like disappeared and I don't think they did it but I was like where did it go and you know when it when it's a draft it's not in the trash because <laughs> mm -hmm. you have it yet so I was like ah but yeah I had too many stories I actually have a couple videos on my YouTube channel where I do a, a part one and a part two of like my experience as a black animation like a black professional black female professional and I actually had a part three that I just never came out with I, I essentially sat down for an hour and a half and told everything that I've ever at that point mm -hmm. like um one thing I told somebody recently um I had a situation at one of the companies where the lady was actually trying to help me, which is, which makes it even crazier. So one of my coworkers, she worked at a, um, a, a community college on the side and she was trying to get me to get a class too. And so the contact person, uh, and you know, we, we communicated on in Skype. So this is actually written. I still have the screenshot. Like, um, she was like, Oh, reach out to this person and mention me. Um, because I'm more of a known figure than you, like an unknown pissant kid with nappy headed, nappy hair. And then she's like, well, until recently. And I was like, I, I, cause I didn't ask her about what until recently meant, but I feel like it was like, I used to have a bigger Afro and then I had just cut my hair down. And so I was just like, like, first of all, like, I always kept my hair in twists, and if I had an afro, like, my dad always, growing up, was like, don't leave the house looking like an unmade bed, <laughs> and so I still, like, I, for the YouTube live this morning, I was putting on this shirt, and it was wrinkled, I was like, ah, I gotta iron it, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't be looking like an unmade bed, so, um, uh, like, I was like, if I had an afro, it was always perfectly quaffed. Like, it was, it, I never looked out, ran out the house like crazy. So, like, nappy head, like, that's your perception of black hair. And so, at that point, it was like, when she said that, it was just like, you know, having to wait 24 hours to be like, like, process what she said to me in a, in a situation where she's trying to help me. And then me, a 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old, black woman having to sit down a 40 year old white woman and tell her why that was inappropriate to say like why do I have to do that <laughs> and so that was like a extreme version I mean I wouldn't say extreme because I just there was stuff I dealt with like on a daily basis <laughs> in, in other positions 
but yeah um and then coming to california i just was like as as a person where my dad nicknamed me angela davis i'm gonna find some racism <laughs> like y'all out here thinking it don't exist but i'm gonna see it and so like there is certain things that i've experienced and what's crazy is like working in a space one time with other black and brown people and still experiencing the same thing so that's the white supremacist structure of like how i'm with my people and i'm still experiencing the same thing i did with, with, with white folks mm-hmm. this is interesting we have internalized a lot and you know in in the episode i just recorded and will definitely come out in a different sequence mm-hmm. um so by the time this comes out versus that, people will have forgotten the other one because it was a, would have been a while ago. But yeah. we were talking about the the ways in which we have had we've internalized it. Um, the ways in which, like she, the, that episode was about mixed race children, mm-hmm. and we were discussing how when we talk about mixed race children, we almost are always thinking about mixing white with. Yes, and she's not. No one's white in her family. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's happening in the commercials where now with more diversity, it's not like, oh, have a black couple, an Asian couple, a Hispanic couple. It's like, oh, all of the couples have to have white person. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not diversity. Why y'all always got to be involved? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, colorism is real. Mm-hmm. And colorism is just a byproduct of racism. It is the, yeah. it's the child of. Um, yeah. And so it is... It is not surprising that you would find it when we're all together too, because how many of our parents have told us to straighten out here? Mm-hmm. And how many of us have said, oh yeah, it's fine, but just don't darken the family. You know, like all of that is the stuff that we've been taught in our households. So and you do not have to be white to be an agent of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Very much so, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, I think I just feel like in multiple spaces um to, to even in california is dealing with the idea of people approaching me because i feel like in addition to racism sexism because you know as a double minority you're just like i don't even know which one you're doing to me but i know it's <laughs> affecting me like i don't know if it's because i'm black or a woman but also something that i deal with a lot and it's really close to the uh, racism and sexism is ageism because I look 10 to 15 years younger than I actually am people are always approaching me as if I'm like in college or a recent graduate and I'm just like I am in my 30s like I am a grown person like (laughs) with a job like and even like in in certain spaces in work where they're like trying to give like oh make sure you speak up make sure I'm like y'all are giving me such basic advice like what who who is my age is not doing this right now (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is so basic like leave me alone I already know how to handle myself but you know there's certain uh, personalities in the the animation industry where they are they could be older than me and like I for my platform of like interviewing animation professionals there's people who are like 40 50 60 who have said no because they are introverts (laughs) like they do not want to be interviewed they don't want the spotlight so there are those personalities um but I feel like people are all like people are always stepping to me as though I am not knowledgeable as as though I am ignorant and they don't have to be explicitly saying it but I feel it when in the in the way you approach me and the oh let me make sure this is right like I perform my normal is other people's overachieving I'm doing it right Mm. If if it's been taught to me properly I'm doing it right so you don't have to double check nothing I'm doing over here (laughs) 
you know, I, I have been having a big problem with the English to English translation with me mm-hmm. because I either am accused of going too much into the weeds, so therefore sharing too much information, or I'm not saying enough. So oftentimes, non-Black people feel the need to go, oh, what Dara is saying is, oh. and I'm going, I have two master's degrees. I'm pretty sure I, I have four books. Mm-hmm. I don't really speak slang like that or AAVE. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when it when it's appropriate, but I'm not really that person. Mm-hmm. I am an introvert. I am an analyzer, so I can get caught really quickly yeah. analyzing, struggling to speak at times yeah. because I'm trying to get the right thoughts out. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm pretty sure I know how to say the words that I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, you can ask me and I can clarify. But yeah. I don't need an English English translator. But it only happens to me, the darkest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I wonder, what's that about? (laughs) You know, if you don't do that to anybody else, Mm -hmm. but you're always prepared to do it to me, is it that I am not speaking properly? Because when I do, when I was in Urban League, everyone understood all the things I said. How many meetings do we have in Urban League where we have to do public speaking if you were on the, if you were on a board, because we called the boards back then. Now it's leadership, whatever it's called. But when it was a board back then, how many meetings did we have to do public speaking? Yeah. You know, how many times did we have to make a case in front of people about something and or speak to community people? Like whatever, whenever we had to speak, we had to speak to people. And so how many times did we have to do that? And people understood what we were saying. Mm-hmm. So it was always fascinating when we're in the company of other people that suddenly they don't understand any words that come out of our mouths. And it's crazy <laughs> to like, um, to be like black person and your black co-workers that you're working with are you know doing tasks correctly and the white people are are dropping the ball but it's not acknowledged that they're dropping the ball it's always approaching you as if you're the issue and it's like I'm actually picking up the ball (laughs) everything that like I have to correct people's work all the time I'm not putting them on blast but like and I I've spoken up in meetings like this person is doing it bad. Have you have you um, broke broached the subject in those meetings that you're in with the, with the, with their boss or with them? Oh no, I told you because I wanted you to bring it up that they're doing it wrong. Like why why do y'all not hold your people accountable? <laughs> yes, because they have to figure out how to fix, fix us. So mm-hmm. it's always a it is a. Yeah, continue. Me being from the Midwest and like when I was on the East Coast, I had no issues being direct. It's not rude in the East Coast or like, oh my God, living in the South and being direct, being rude. It's like, ah, no, it's not. (laughs) But I am able to communicate directly what is my issue. And then people take it through their filter of like, oh, Deborah said that this is happening that what that means is like no it's it mean what I exactly what I said you ain't got you ain't got to interpret it or misinterpret it like I said what I mean and so they their solution and this is they at least they got it honest because they be solving things nationally and it's like that's not what we asked for (laughs) 
like we t- we t- we asking y'all to stop redlining and y'all uh, in the Texas real estate board talking about we gonna stop calling the master bedroom master. What the, what does that <laughs> that's the least of our problems. It's the least of our problems. So hey, they are experts in solving the issue that you are not bringing up. Yes, so, they got it honest. <laughs> facts upon facts (laughs) these are facts not opinions (laughs) so what is a unique fact about your community uh repeat that i'm sorry what is a unique fact about your community a unique fact about the black animation community Hmm. is that there are there are not only two of us like <laughs> like i've i've interviewed over 60 people on my platform and that's not even half my list so wow um there are people who become either mainstream famous or animation famous and they kind of re- like re- are recycled <laughs> so there's like floyd norman who's like the most famous person in our industry currently he's um 81 years old uh, he was like the first, one of the first black people. I think he he says that there was another black person that started when, because he was he worked he was working at Disney when Walt Disney was still alive. And so, um, and then there's um, Bruce W. Smith who created um, Proud Family and now Louder and Prouder. And then there's Peter Ramsey who was a co-director on Into the Spider Verse. Um, Frank Abney is pretty popular. He's an animator that's worked on like different Pixar stuff, and he had. Um, I, hopefully it's still on Netflix, but there's an animated film called Canvas that he created independently that is on Netflix. It's a short film, maybe nine minutes long. So there's like people who are animation famous. There's people who are kind of like other people know, but there's way more people. <laughs> and that's what I like about my platform is like, people are like, oh, you should interview Floyd Norman and Bruce W. Smith and Peter Ramsey. And it's like, first of all, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but also these other people are important as well. And that's what I like about highlighting them is that um, I remember reaching out to one guy. He's a, a he was a background designer at Disney, and I reached out to him about coming on my platform. And he was like, "You know, I'm not an animator, right?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yes." You know, I don't still work at Disney. Like, yes, you black and you in animation. Like, that's the point. And so there's this like hierarchy of like at the initial like when Disney was just starting like. No, none of the artists really got the shine, but then once they started getting the shine, it was like only the animators that got the shine. And so mm. people think everybody is an animator. <laughs> and so he's a background designer. So he's like, are you sure you want to highlight me? I'm not an animator. <laughs> like, like, yes, what you did was important as well. And so I like, I like just as much, like I, I obviously want to interview Floyd Norman. I'm supposed to be interviewing him soon. And I do have contact information for the other people I mentioned, but like the people who you have never heard of, like, I like highlighting them too. That's awesome. It's gotta be so interesting to like have these conversations with people who are the OGs of the business or the ones that are just not getting the shine. And it's gotta be great for them, but it's also gotta be great for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you, as you started in this industry, did you like have mentors? and how to do this work or do you have you just been sort of bumping around and figuring it out for yourself 
Um, so I was blessed to be able to take a 3D class my first uh, year in at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York. Uh, I was able to take a, a 3D class my spring quarter. And so my um, the teacher assistant, uh, his name's Carabo Leguela. Um, he's from Botswana. Um, he was the he was getting his master's and he was the teacher's assistant in my first 3D class. And so he's been a mentor since then. Um, my friend AJ Moore, I can never remember the platform we met him on, but it was like one of those things where, you know, uh, it was like something tunes, like, uh, cause it doesn't exist anymore, but it was one of those things where you're like going on the website to see who you could see other black people. And I'm like, yes, friend that person, friend that person. <laughs> and so that's how we met. We didn't even met meet in person until several years after we know known each other um and so that was another one of my mentors and then my current one of my current like Carabo is still one of my mentors and then my current one is Andre Rodriguez he was one of the people in the live this morning um and like it was a thing where I don't even know how we became Facebook friends but I had posted something and he wrote in the comments like yeah I agree something like that and or sent and then like send me something or something like that and I sent it and then since then we've been like ride or die <laughs> because with Andre he is so refreshing because um he do not care <laughs> like like his name is Andre Rodriguez but he was he grew up with his black mama and so he black <laughs> and so like um sometimes in the animation industry like like it is the safe haven for people who are outcasts and so there are, are like the like the blurred nerd all that type of stuff the people who watch anime people who watch this you know but you know i with me like being also involved in the urban league movement while i'm in the animation industry that is very rare <laughs> like mm. for that to be because when i'm co going to conferences i ain't seeing nobody else in the animation industry and so like to meet people who are just like kind of like me uh where like for others in the animation industry this is their safe haven but then i kind of end up not being an outcast but like i don't have things in common with people because <laughs> i do not like anime or watch it and mm. i have not seen every star wars like i do i have seen the mandalorian i do watch star wars sometimes but i'm not like a lot of spaces like when I go to these conferences or festivals and I'm like going to like these panels and I'm like ah yes this I don't this is not interesting to me <laughs> so um it's cool to meet people like me in the industry <laughs> <laughs> wow so you have not watched all the Star Wars um <laughs> well I watched I'm pretty sure I watched the first three. I'm not sure if I watched the second three and then like the, all the tangential stuff. Like I've watched Mandalorian. I started the first episode of Obi-Wan. Like, um, but it, like, it's not that I'm not interested. It's just not a priority. <laughs> okay. I will forgive you. I mean, granted, I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan, mm -hmm. but as much as I'm a Star Trek fan, I am, I, so like, if you're gonna, if you ever ask me like which one, I'm going to say Star Trek. Like, there's never yeah. gonna be a question. It's yeah. always gonna be Star Trek. But then, like, you start talking about Star Wars, and I can pretty much hold my own in that conversation too. I have I watched like everything. Star Trek, like, 
felt though every iteration of Star Trek is like, yeah, we about diversity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even like if you watched the latest Star Wars, there was a whole thing with like, and I haven't finished this newest Star Wars because you know the way they roll it out on Disney Plus is episode, episode, episode. Yeah. So I haven't finished um the latest one yet, but I will probably finish that this weekend. Yeah. Um but there was like this new black character yeah. and right. they were talking about how she wasn't being accepted because you know racism and sci-fi yeah. world and all that other fun world and stuff and so, so star, star trek was like you're always welcome here <laughs> you know and i'm like and this is why star trek is better than star wars because we're like hey welcome to the family <laughs> and something that's unprecedented is like one of the co-producers who i think actually acts in obi-wan as well like put, went to his twitter to like defend her and he's a white man and so that's like oh wow yeah. y'all y'all really okay y'all ally <laughs> yeah i mean like yeah because like they i don't I didn't, I don't get into all the crazy racism fandom stuff, but like, even with Star Trek, the crazy thing is, is that we all, everybody loves Star Trek mm-hmm. and fascinatingly both. And there's a, there's like a YouTube video about like what we are hearing when we watch Star Trek. So like the red and the blue teams both love Star Trek, mm-hmm. but we're listening to very different things and missing uh-huh. some of us team right. red are missing (laughs) you know what the like heart of star trek is and that's happening across many so many fandoms like um the marvel universe what stanley did like so much stuff is like he created x-men with like martin luther king and malcolm x in mind like what were y'all reading red team (laughs) i mean stanley is from like he's from the bronx like high school is down the block for me all these people are like social justice warrior and it's like this is what it was from the beginning what are you even talking about yeah it's it's amazing how much people miss the mark and what was happening in these um in these worlds and how welcoming these worlds were i mean just think about who the x-men were like Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of people who have all these different talents that make them outcast in the society, and yet they're still saving the world. Mm-hmm. And and <laughs> this, like to interview on my platform to interview Larry Houston, who was very uh, who was the director of um, X Men the animated series, which is one of the most popular X Men uh, like properties. To, to have people like because he does a lot of comic cons and stuff like that to have people come up to him and be like I was about to commit suicide and then I found X-Men animated series and it made me feel like better that's that has to be amazing to have had heard that yeah yeah so and I like, mean I, like I was about to commit suicide but I didn't want to miss X-Men episode <laughs> like could you imagine? And thinking your work may not have really, not thinking yeah. how important your work is to, and then hearing that, you know? Even on the on the live this morning, somebody popped in was like, I just wanted to let you know, and they were in the comments, like, I just wanted to let you know that, like, you you created a video about HBCUs uh, who have, that have animation programs, and I'm about to go to Virginia State this fall. Like, thank you. Like, wow. <laughs> and then I, a couple so I went to like a, a, a like a little um, picnic for for Black and Animated, and like I was the first group I went up to talk to. This young lady was like, "Oh, you're like, can I have a hug?" I was like, "Yes." <laughs> like, 
stuff. Like, <laughs> so that's cool. Well, can I also just tell you, this is a totally side note, yeah. but um, I'm very jealous that you met Kev on stage. <laughs> I've met him like a couple times. Actually. I'm just going to tell you, I'm very jealous about this. <laughs> like the first time I met him, like I got the, um, is this the first time? Like, cause, cause he would come to New Orleans for his comedy shows. And like, I know one, I don't know if this is the first time, but one time I met him, I purposely got the VIP tickets cause we was in the front and we got to go on stage to like shake their hands first. And I remember it was like to hear Tony, um, Kev on stage. Um, and it might've been Doughboy um, when they were mm. still talking about him. And I just like mentioned the Kev on stage, like, yeah. Um, I, I'm in animation. I know you're one of your sons. And so he's like, oh, yeah. And then he like chased me off the stage and was like, oh, like, here's my email. Like, contact me. Nothing ever came of it, but mm-hmm. he like was thinking of his son. And then there was another time they came for Essence and they're at Essence now. Um, and I went to one of their meetups and like I gave them, um, there's this uh, thing called Sticky Bones, and I, mm. I was part of their like Indiegogo or whatever, and so I had two of them, and so I was like, here's one for your son. <laughs> so a couple of those videos I got on my YouTube channel, like meeting um, Kev on stage, and then like I was on a, a Instagram live with uh, Lil Rel and his kids, <laughs> and so yeah. I'm just I'm just telling you I'm I'm very jealous. Like it just popped into my head as I'm thinking about. It. I was like, wait, I I know you like. Mm. Kev on stage, like, um, even when I was, like, underemployed, I was still a part of the Patreon because, like, Kev on stage, I- I'm just amazed at, like, he's, like, a-, a-, a distant mentor because, like, I'm just amazed at the community he has created and how the people on the Patreon and in, the- in his Discord will, like, be begging to give him money. Like, please make a shirt so we can give a- give you money. And I- I'm like, how do I create a, a- like, a community like <laughs> at where they are down like sometimes when they can't do a youtube like a a live of one of their podcasts or have to go on vacation like i'm they're like oh you know came on stage and um list is like oh i'm sorry and they're like take a break (laughs) like and so they're very understanding and you know i'm part of the community but it's just like how did he build this (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's i think it's his personality i think it's Mm -hmm. it's part it's partially his personality because i don't I don't know how I started following him, mm-hmm. but I just start, and I mean, it it's definitely, and it, like, you don't remember, like, because especially with all this stuff on social media, you don't remember when you start seeing their videos, but yeah. I definitely started seeing, like, when they, when he would throw stuff back from, like, what they were originally doing, or not, not originally doing, but, like, early stuff, I definitely oh, yeah. remember the video of them after going to see um, Black Panther, and yeah. so, like, some of those early stuff, I'm like, oh, I remember him when he was just a goatee. Like, yeah. I remember when he started growing a beard. So like, I've been rocking with him for a little while, but not as long as other people have. I feel like one of my first videos, because I've been following him since the Playmakers, actually, his brother Ooh. Jason was actually my favorite person. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like wow. when I went to the Essence, I was like, I get to meet Jason. And then he wasn't <laughs> there. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. So one of the first videos I knew of them was uh stuff church girls say mm. is that my note is that my note like <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah I, I that I, playmakers I wasn't around yeah. for playmakers I came after that but that's yeah. still 
That now that's a real fan right there. I've <laughs> been around yeah, that long. Well, like, I was like, because like it was just that Jason they weren't making it because I think I guess he moved from Washington so it was just still kept on stage um making the videos if um Jason would have went off I'd have been like I'm following Jason because <laughs> he's just so hilarious to me um but, but I love Kevin on stage too so um I'm a fan <laughs> yeah I definitely enjoy Kevin on stage I definitely I enjoy the whole crew I was mm-hmm. really sad about seeing him and Doughboy split mm-hmm. however they split yeah I still have feelings but but I still have one of the the videos saved like one of the little snippets of um like when Doughboy and Kevin on stage were uh they had the Righteous and Ratchet and like uh Kev was talking about um like you know the Gucci glasses and he's like I only got Gucci and Prada like can I wear either one of them and then like they started talking about contacts and Doughboy was like there's Gucci contacts <laughs> and they start like cracking up. <laughs> so I still got that clip saved of like, he was just like, the camp was like, why would you think there are Gucci contacts? But then like the logo on the contact. Like, Could you imagine though if there was? <laughs> it's going to happen at some point, but yeah. it's bound to. <laughs> That's hilarious. um so is there a fun fact about yourself you're willing to share um let's see fun fact because my usual fun facts are that my I'm a twin and that (laughs) I've worked in 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 Korea so I'm like what additional fun facts do I have (laughs) those are my go-tos truth truth and a lie um Let's see. I want. I, I'm sure I do have more fun facts. Um, I played four years varsity basketball. Nice. And I have always been slow. Like I. So my freshman year playing varsity, you know, I was a guard, um, and my coach at the time had there was like a time the shortest time to do like a, a down and back or like a suicide which if you don't know what a suicide is it's like going to free throw line back half court back other free throw line back full court back and you got and so we were doing suicides and the guards had to, to do the lowest time the forwards had to do this time and the centers had to do this time and we had like multiple of these suicides to do on the first suicide I did not make the time <laughs> And so my basketball teammates was like, damn, like, what? We're not even tired yet. I'm like, I'm slow, man. Like, why? I need the center time. I don't need the guard time. Like, And then fast forward to, like, when I'm in upstate New York and, like, I can't walk as because I went to school with a bunch of people in New York City. Like, I can't walk as fast as y'all be walking, like. I, like I can't <laughs> and like when I was like joining my sorority you're supposed to like walk fast and I'm like this is as fast as I can walk <laughs> like, yeah. and so I'm like I have always been slow like I'm sorry I cannot walk fast <laughs> that's okay I think it's as long as at least if you're, if you're in New York as long as you know how to navigate Mm-hmm. then it's the slow walking is not particularly a huge problem because I'm not a fast walker uh-huh. I, I have my moments but I, it's more about knowing how to get out of people's way yeah. so as long as you walk in a way that everyone else can move around you mm-hmm. then then there's no issues 
Now, so if you don't do it correctly. Sisters, like all my line searches are from New York City. So like, just like the, you know, holding the backpack and walking, like I can't. Oh yeah, no, you'll, you'll be left behind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I cannot walk that fast. So yeah, um, my fun fact, I played four years varsity um, basketball. I'm sure I have more interesting facts, but I can't think of them now. <laughs> It's cool. It's cool. We now know that you were varsity and that you just are not a, you're a slow walker and that's okay. Yes. And I scored like for one game, it might've been my senior year. I scored the winning shot for one of my, one of my uh, games and like had that experience of everybody like running <sighs> me and like tackling me, um, which that story is like the, on one of the previous possessions, I actually fouled a girl. And so we were like up let's see we were maybe tied or something and I followed the girl I'm like dang it it's the end of the game I don't follow them they gonna they gonna hate me and then she had two free throws and she only made one so whatever the math is when she made that one shot we were down by maybe two and then we go to the other side of the court I'm on the right wing like uh one of the point guards like swing it to that side like first of all she didn't shoot swing it to that side she didn't shoot swing it back to the middle she didn't shoot I'm like the time is going down so <laughs> they like swing it to me on the right I'm not even at the three-point line I'm like feet back from the three three-point line and I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> and it goes in and I'm like oh we won and so it just was like before that I was like pissed like what which one of y'all is gonna shoot like the time is going down. We need to try to win. And so I like did a super duper NBA three pointer and won the game for us. Ooh. And then fast forward to like at one of the conferences, I don't even remember which city, but they had the like little they had like a little sports thing. And like um I did the I don't I guess it might have been for the southern region or something like that. So I did the little um basketball portion and I remember I, I still got the video somewhere and I remember at first when I was shooting I'm like oh these are some NBA threes this is not regular <laughs> and then I made a shot for I think southern region I think it was I think that's how it was split, split up so I made the shot because I and and there were men who did not make the shot so I just want to say Ooh, that okay now so, so then- I <laughs> you were headed to your goal of being that o- that older woman who's still gonna be right. able to hold it down on the court. There you go. Uh, there are several men in YP that did not make a shot, and I did. There you go. Okay, now. <laughs> so um, I'm down to like my last two sort of questions. We sort of talked about it already, but is there something about the state of your community that frustrates you? Um. I think, uh, so um, after George, George Floyd died, there was a lot of a- activation in a lot of communities. And so from my vantage point, particularly on Twitter, after George Floyd's death, I remember Brianna, um, uh, is it Smith? Brianna Williams, Brianna Williams from um, Black and Animated. I remember she tweeted, um, all caps, hire more Black animators. I don't know how long after that, but it was like people after he died on video, like people had this fervor because she's very like quiet to herself and all that stuff, but it just built up some something in a lot of people. And so she, I remember her tweeting, hire more black animators. And I remember being in those comments being like, because, you know, 
they always be like hire the most qualified like so do you think black people ain't qualified because what is the problem <laughs> and so you know all that stuff and then so there was like three in the art community art slash animation community there was like three waves like first was like black animation where she she was the catalyst for that and then the second wave was like a bunch of people in the comic book and animation industry like a bunch of dudes being outed as like being sexual predators um and so that was a, a wave and the third wave that i just that I saw was like students at various universities outing their professors as being racist. And so there was like a lot of like um, Instagram uh, accounts that were created where they, they were having some people submit um, their encounter that they had with various professors. And sometimes they would name the professors, but all of it was anonymous. So it was like this school, this school, this school, a lot of people telling, saying like what happened. And so the frustration was like all this performative stuff that companies did after George Floyd with the black tech, the black background with the white text. And I said this morning, the only people I believed was Sesame Street because Sesame Street is not new to this, they true to this. And Sesame Street, fun fact, was actually created for people of color. Like it was created for us. And then if Ben and Jerry says something, I believe them too. <laughs> like the Ben and Jerry's, like, cause there's Ben and Jerry's the company and there's Ben and Jerry's like the foundation where the founders are still part of it. Like whatever they said, I believe that too. Cause they got the Colin Kaepernick ice cream and all that stuff. So I've um, been to, I actually went to, wait, where's Ben and Jerry's in Vermont? So uh, there, um, because so Oberlin, one of them is, a, is an alum of Oberlin. And mm -hmm. so when you get accepted into Oberlin, they actually send you, or at least they used to, a discount for Ben and Jerry's ice cream because uh -huh. I got accepted to Oberlin. Unfortunately, I was not able to go. Uh -huh. So I went to Vermont this summer, um, this past summer, and we went to Ben and Jerry's in Vermont to go to the factory, but the factory was closed because of COVID or oh, I think yeah. it was because of COVID, but you could still get ice cream at the factory. And uh -huh. so inside they have this whole great mural for, um, for, oh gosh, how did I just do it? How did I forget his name? And this is terrible. Um, no, for um for Lewis. Farrakhan? No. <laughs> oh my God. the bridge. Um oh um John Lewis. John Lewis, thank you. It's like my brain was like not, I was like, I know it's Lewis. I can see his face in my head. But there's a huge mural right there. And like as you go to get the ice cream, as you go online. A giant mural for him and it's about like the his history and and all of that so that's like really amazing to walk into the factory yeah. and to order your ice cream and like everyone who's there you, you can't you can't you can't miss it like you just yeah so they, they about that life and so yes I agree with you that if Ben and Jerry says it they about that so yes yeah. like um we've talked about it on several platforms since then but there was like this um performative thing behind it and like a lot of people were like oh we're going to hire black animation professionals we're going to do this a lot of people were reached out to for jobs and then they never ended up getting a job a lot of people were reached out to for opportunities and that every a lot of people were ghosted by various companies and people who claimed that they were allies and were going to do something for diversity um so that's a frustrating part of like uh, both black and animated and Abel, Abel um, Hayford, 
she has a hashtag uh, drawing while black. So every year during a particular month, like people do the drawing while black and then you can find black artists and stuff like that. Abel came out with a, um, a list and people would hit them up for their list and just, just be sending penny any jobs to these people like, or like they're looking for an animator and they're just sending it to the whole list. Like not even siphoning out like which people are actually doing animation, not like illustrators or background designers and all that stuff. So they were improperly using the list. So she ended up locking down her list because uh, they were improperly using it so much. And so this like facade of like, people saying that they were going to do something but then they at, never actually did it and they did this the black background with the white text but it was like performative yeah yeah unfortunately I think that's the case so many places and I think they are even even if they are pretend even if they are trying to be more DEI focused Mm -hmm. The issue with that is DEI is so, that diversity word is so large mm -hmm. that any minority, even your quote unquote model minorities fill that bill. Like essentially the problem with uh, affirmative action mm -hmm. was that when once they said that white women counted. Yes, they benefited the most. Exactly, they benefited the most. And so I think even still today that some of that is happening mm -hmm that they're filling their diverse quotas with different groups that still would benefit more than the ones that are more severely disadvantaged or ignored. And that's still a problem. I don't even try to use the term POC or BIPOC because like there's never, like unless you're just kind of just mentioning all people that are non-white then yet POC is a phrase, but there's literally never any conversation where you should say POC because like not should but you're usually talking about black people and people like to say use POC or you're talking about Asian people or you're talking about Hispanic people like you're not usually talking about because I've I've had like a supervisor who's like oh we want to hire a, a, a POC and I'm like what you're actually saying as a black person um in the context of what she was like because mm -hmm. uh, I'm not gonna say just to not reveal it but like in context, she meant a black person, but they will use POC instead of the word black or instead of the word Hispanic and instead of the word Asian. And then something I realized about BIPOC was that in Canada, they use IBPOC, IB. So it's like, who, like, not necessarily who deserves to be first, the black people or the indigenous people, but why are we creating this term, another term that is like, it's not is unnecessary <laughs> mm. because like in america in america it's usually like black indigenous and then poc and then like why don't they get their own letters and i understand why the b and i get their own letters but then in canada i saw it was like indigenous black and it's like if we had a tussle for who's first this this acronym is not <laughs> just talk about what you're talking about like you're usually talking about indigenous people or you're talking about black people so just use the term that you mean so it's interesting because you know i i've had this conversation about bipoc before and i think part of the and and i and i don't know enough about canada's history so i i i could see why they would flip the letters in part because they were not in the same levels of 
colonial i mean they have their own stuff but yeah. you know there's a lot of indigenous stuff in their history so i yeah. can see indigenous being their and main so focus first indigenous are yeah but i could also like but it's interesting because bipoc here has had two different meanings and so mm-hmm. i stopped using it once i realized the meaning shifted because it used to be black and indigenous people of color and so you were primarily oh. talking about black and indigenous people right period okay. and then it started flipping to black indigenous and then people of color so mm-hmm. it was now everyone who was poc and that becomes a different meaning but when you were talking right. when you were talking about the original sins of america you were often talking about in black and indigenous people because right the massacre of indigenous people and the transportation of black folks. So that's where initially, like that's what that definition was being right. translated to. And then it sort of became this BIPOC being just oh, everyone. <laughs> we can't never be just talking about black people or we can't never be just talking about indigenous people. Like, <laughs> and so it just became like this. And so like, after a while, I was like, well, then it, 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 it doesn't work if it's everyone, like it's just POC again, because just POC and is that not what we're talking yeah. about? But like if if it, if we kept with the black and indigenous people of color, if it's just that meaning, then you can at times really be speaking about those two communities. If we're talking about the original sins of um, of the United States, you know, if we're talking about, I mean, there's still so much in the original sins of the United States. But if we're trying to like narrow in the conversation. You could possibly like narrow into these two populations, you know. Mm-hmm. But it it did become black and indi- black indigenous and people of color. And that's and what when it comes that it becomes too much about like all these like people not realizing the the start of why something existed like me too people only thinking of it as a hashtag and not um uh Toronto uh, what's her name Burke yeah um, Tarana Burke her that's her organization and then white women commandeered the hashtag or um what else um say her name. S- say his name annoys me because say her name was created because black women get um left out in the conversation of black people dying and so say his name don't make no sense because we're always saying his name i remember i had a facebook status uh and i just was like the the gist of it was that you you could sit here right now and be able to name possibly 10 men who have died at the hand of police or white people to hear to 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 hear uh Tamir Rice um uh Florida <laughs> um there's, there's a lot of people we know yeah. <laughs> but you can't do the same for black women you like, started Sandra I, Bland you may get to like three more and then you sort of start going like I, wait I know there's some more <laughs> yeah so it's just like say her name was that was created for that reason so to, to see people say say his name it's like that's you're commandeering something that was created for a specific purpose and i get it but that's not right i mean say his name is blue lives matter it's all lives matter it's the same it's the same and that's not to say it's not important when black men like die but we We like always say his name in conversation with black men they talk as though black women are not dying or enduring racism as well <laughs> like like what you you think we're not black and we're not enduring the same thing y'all like because they're like oh but we're dying at 
you know, larger numbers or something like that. And it's like, well, we black women are actually dying at large numbers. Maybe not as large as y'all numbers, but we're still dying. Like one is too much. Why does it matter? Yeah. The oppression Olympics, like. Yeah. And, and yeah, we don't get the same media, but we sure as heck are getting it too. We, like there's that one woman and I would never remember her name because I just, there's too many names at this point. But there's that one woman that they, they sat there and they planned how they were going to defuse the situation because it was very clear that she was having a mental health break and they had right. the whole plan. And then two seconds later, they slaughtered her. Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you made this whole plan of how you're right. going to defuse the situation and then you just went and killed her. Okay, great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, and, and that all feeds back into the very subtle microaggressions that we experience in our different industries. So yes. I'm sorry that it seems to have been performative in your industry, but hopefully it doesn't stop. And I think what you're there doing- are a lot of projects like um, Louder and Prouder just came out again. And that is very inclusive. If you haven't seen on Disney Plus, like there are so many new characters that is very inclusive. Um, Dad of Bonnie Hunter, um, Everett Downing Jr., uh, came out is coming out with that that should be coming out soon um i interviewed a guy uh hamid ibrahim i interviewed him on my platform he's part of um kugali media uh he's uh i don't want to lie he's from an african country i don't want to say the wrong one and in his uh uh they're all from various african countries and they they are working with disney for um Iwaju, which is an Afrofuturism storyline. So there are stuff that there is stuff that's happening. It's just like it takes time to have it come out. But um there is stuff that from that era it um or even before that era, like that was happening, they were trying to do stuff because they had um that they had that announcement where uh Baymax, uh Princess Tiana, Zootopia. And there was like a fourth one where those are all diverse like things and they were like oh we're coming out with tv series so those are still supposed to be coming out i believe so there is like some improvement but i feel like you know sometimes people act like we have short memories or that we're dumb and was like yeah we're not though (laughs) well i thank you for amplifying um the the people who are out there already I think that's huge. I think it's huge that you're doing it and that um, just to know that there's a whole community. Like I wouldn't, I would never think about it. And I would, I just like, oh, I love animation. So I'm just like, oh, more animation. Great. Like I, my brain is not going to go that deep into like, yeah. who is the person behind the animation? <laughs> huge advocate that animation is not just for kids. It is a medium. It is not a genre. Yes. Thank you. So how do we support you and the community? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how do, we, how do we tap in and make sure we are one advocating for the community and then also how do we find and follow you? Um, well, you can follow me on at Black Woman Animator, B-L-K-W-M-N Animator on all platforms. Uh, I've also done a rebranding for my personal work. So if you want to check out any of my personal work, it's Deb the 3D Modeler. And um, a big way uh, that you can support us is to reprogram your brain and not think that animation is just for kids. And so when we come out with stuff that is Black, watch it. (laughs) And so um, I have a video on my channel called The Black Animation Ecosystem. And that video is like trying to outline maybe how can we tap into what Black culture 
particularly Black American culture is already interested in and then try to get more audience and then like build up like indie projects that are, you know, not just kid kid um, focused, but also adult focused. And so trying to convince more Black Americans that animation can be enjoyed uh, by adults. And so if you see something, um, like if it's for kids, then like try to have your kids watch it. But if it's for adults, give it a chance. Um, yeah. Awesome. And check out the, the, uh, the ludicrous thing on Netflix. Uh, that was good. Um, dang it, what is that called? Um, that was really good. Ludicrous animated show. Yes. Um, Karma's World. Okay. That was cute because she got, you know, episode about bonnets. <laughs> she got all the episodes. And so I am like, this is research. <laughs> but, but yeah, like if you are open to all kind of um, storylines and you're an adult, feel free to go watch uh, Karma's World on Netflix. Awesome. Well, you heard it here. Um, thank you, Deborah, for speaking with us on behalf of this has been really informative and really dope. And I'm I'm gonna have to watch animation from a different perspective and lens now. Um, because I definitely I mean I I always am I'm I have not been so good on my Saturday cartoons and stuff, but I was good. I was I was on it until probably this last year. This mm-hmm. last like 365 days, I've been like whatever my tv is on that's what i'm watching (laughs) watch like love death and robots on netflix arcane on netflix um invincible on amazon prime that's for adults do not have your children watch that (laughs) there's a lot of gratuitous uh, violence um so yeah um watch all that stuff and thank you for having me thank you for being here and thank you everyone for listening on behalf of um, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, everyone.